I do love that guy. They're, the Bible says they're, they're friends who stick closer than a brother. And he's one in my life. And, and I'm so thankful for that. And we're a family. At EVC, we're a family. Amen? All right, you're going to have to help me all through the day today. I got to go fast, okay? We're going to go fast. You got to put your ears on. You got to listen fast today. But we're a family. And Paul today, as we close this, uh, this series called No Longer I, we're going to the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Paul has a word for family life and for us today. He has a, he has a word for, for how we relate to one another as a family. And what we've just heard is a, is a brilliant introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. Because what Paul does is a heart of a pastor. He comes to the end of this letter and he says, hey, listen, I've been harsh to you in some ways. I've had some very difficult things to tell you. Some things like you don't have to go back to the law. You don't have to go back to Judaism in order to come into an understanding of living your faith out in Christ. Paul is very clear to that. He's very harsh to a few people. And now he comes towards the end of this letter and he brings everything back. And with the heart of a father, with the heart of a shepherd, he says, here is what living life in the family of God is really about. This has been a surreal week for me. Over the last six years, uh, I've always been on that trip. And this year, Bart and I decided we were going to cross uh, paths a little bit, and I was going to go to Canada to continue to build relationships there, and he was going to go to Honduras so that we aren't seen as leading EVC, that one of us has a heart in one place and one of us has a heart for the other. And either myself or one of my daughters has been on the trip uh, over the last six years. We've never experienced anything like this. And as I prepared the team to go, I was so excited for what they were going to see and the culmination that they were going to get to experience. And to be honest with you, I was really, really jealous that I was not going to get to be there with them to experience this with them. And so I went to a leadership conference in South Carolina this past week. You have been on my heart. I ask every single one of our leaders and staff members to give me all the folks that lead in every area at EVC. And I took those with me to this leadership development uh, conference that I went to. We're going to be changing the whole culture of leadership at EVC over the next several months as our staff begins to implement what I learned and discovered. But to do this, I took your names and every name uh, of those who are leading here at EVC were in front of me all week as I was just going through things and kind of mapping some things out. And I see so many of you in this service that I had on my mind this week. And on Tuesday night, when everything broke loose, at 3 a.m. in a hotel room in South Carolina, I'm going through passports and everything trying to rearrange flights. And I've talked talk with Charlie Campbell. We were working with different folks. How would we get our team out? And my team was on my heart. My heart was there. But you know who else was on my heart? My family and brothers and sisters in Honduras who I knew couldn't get out. And we're going to live in this situation that our team was able to be extricated out of. You see, we're a family. And we hurt with as a family. We live as a family. We love as a family. And sometimes we go through difficulties as a family. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. In Galatians chapter 6, the context is how do we live life in the family of God? We're going to have a family meeting today. If you have ever had a family meeting, maybe it was you're getting ready to go on a vacation, so you had to bring everybody together to talk about what you were going to do. 
Maybe it was you were going through a job change and your family had to move. And, and so there were some things that you were going to need, need to do. Maybe somebody in your family was going through an incredible hardship. Or maybe someone in your family died. And it brought you together as a family. Well, in the summer, it's a great time for us to have a family meeting here at EVC. And today we're talking about how do we live this life out as a family. So that's the context, life in the family of God. Go to Galatians 6. We're going to read the first 10 10 verses. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into that same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now, it's interesting that that Paul says this, obey the law of Christ. Remember, in this whole book of Galatians, Paul is speaking against having to go back and live your life through the law. So how strange that he would come now and say, obey the law of Christ. He's not talking about the Judaistic law. What was the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do you remember the next part? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the context of everything we're going to talk about is that Paul is saying, this is what we do as a family. We love one another and we share in each other's burdens in this process. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are fooling yourself. And I love this. You are not that important. Don't you love the strength of Paul? Some of us need to put that on our mirror, that we see that every morning. We get up, we do our hair, we're doing the makeup, doing all those things, and it needs to, we need to be reminded, you're not that important. So Paul wants to remind them of this. He says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are responsible each for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And everybody said, what? Come on, people. Those who are taught should share all good things with those who are teaching you. And God's people said, I'm going to hold you to that, all right? So interesting, though, that Paul would bring this up here. It's kind of an interesting thing in the context of what he's sharing. We'll talk about as to why that is there. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. What a great illustration of reaping the harvest of blessing, even when we endure hardship. Nothing could be said better than what Bart just said in that. Therefore, he says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So listen quickly. Let's get our ears on today. What do we do? We share one another's burdens. The whole context of this passage comes in in verse 2. We're going to deal with with verse 1, but verse 2 sets the context for what Paul is going to say. He says, the whole deal is this. We are to share 
each other's burdens. That's what life in the family of God is. It's not about a service. It's not just about worship. It is about sharing one another's burdens in the family of God. There are 59 one another passages throughout the New Testament. I do not have time to go through all of those, and no one here wants me to go through all of those this morning, but those are on our website. So go to eaglesviewchurch.org, and we would love for you to look at those other 58. But this is one of those. Share each other's burdens. The whole process of living the life, our life in Christ out among others is that we do things in combination and in relationship with one another. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. There are four ministries I just want to highlight very quickly that we have here at EVC that do just this. They exist to do this to share one another's burdens. One of those is our hope ministry that met, uh, meets every first Monday or first Sunday of the month. And so it met last week, but our hope ministry works with anyone struggling with, uh, with any type of mental illness in your family or anxiety or depression. And so this is an opportunity for us to do what? To share one another's burdens. We have another ministry called Stephen Ministry. That's a one-on-one ministry, a man with a man, a lady with a lady, for as long as you need someone to walk with any situation that you're struggling with, to do what? To share your burdens with someone else so that you know you are not alone. Now, I'm gonna tell you, full and straight up, We've got almost every person that we've trained matched up with someone here at EVC. What does that mean? We need more of you who might feel that call to work one-on-one with someone and be trained to be a listener, to be Jesus with skin on, to sit in a situation with someone else, to walk with them. And you can go to a table outside today and get more information. We'll begin training for that in the fall. That is a great ministry that we have more of a need than we have uh, people who are in it right now. It's called Stephen Ministry. The third is a ministry that we call our Benevolence Ministry. It is a financial ministry to help people when they cannot make their bills or to meet a need in their life. And it is only not a handout. It is literally a hand up. It is not meant to pay everything from now on, but in a specialized situation, we have a team of people who help people in our church and people in our community to get through to the next level, to be able to to be ministered to or to find counseling when they don't, aren't able to afford it. And then there's a ministry that undergirds all of these. It's called our life groups ministry. It is a ministry where you will get to know other people and you walk in life with other people. We understand that when you come in here on a Sunday morning and you experience worship, you get to know the back of someone's head really well, okay? You see the person, except you guys, you guys are in the spit zone, otherwise known as the splash zone. It's kind of like Shamu and I'm Shamu, all right? So, all right, so no comments out there, all right? So, so our life groups undergird this whole process that give us relationships with one another. And to a man or woman in this room, we want to find a life group for you. We want to help you in that process because we want you to experience the holistic body life of the church, which quite honestly, we don't get to do it all right here. This is only part of what we do. We share each other's burdens and obey the law of Christ. So the question becomes, whose burden should I share? There are three things, three groups of people we're going to look at today. First of all, the family, our family who is broken in sin or broken by sin. The second is the family that is responsible for teaching. We're to bear 
the pastor's burdens, Paul says. And then thirdly, everyone who's a potential family, all right? So let's listen quickly as we go through this. First of all, whose burden should I share? We should share the burden of someone, our family, who is broken by sin. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, that is very, very important, help that person back on the right path. What's the problem? The problem is this. Someone we dearly love has been overcome by sin. The Greek word that's used here is literally that. It is someone who unexpectedly have had something in their life that has literally grabbed hold of them. And they're hurting. It's not necessarily, although it wouldn't exclude it, someone who knows what sin is and is heading headlong into it and grasping it with full force. That person still is burdened and still needs our help, but this is an illustration of a person who is walking along in their life and something comes into their life and they fall into sinful behavior that is going to take them off track. What Paul says is we are to gently and humbly bring them back on the right path. The Greek word that's used here is kartidzo. And what it literally means throughout the New Testament is when the disciples, who many were fishermen, they would mend their nets. So here's the picture in the body of Christ. Someone has struggled with a particular sin in their life, and a hole has taken place in their net. They are not able to catch the harvest of what God has in store for them, for their life, for their family, for their community, and they have a hole in their net. And it is God's desire for some of us to come alongside them and begin to mend their net with them so that they might be placed back into the role of effectiveness that God has in store for them. It's also a word that's used for the breaking of a bone that when a doctor now sets the bone. If you've been to many of the places in the world that I've been to where people don't have quick medical attention, a break may happen that for any one of us means an ER visit or something for one of our kids that quickly gets remedied. But there, it heals in a wrong way. It becomes a deformity. And their ability to function in life becomes hindered. How many people at EVC are struggling and not living up to their potential and effectiveness because sin has taken over in their heart and life and no one knew. No one was willing to take the step into their life to encourage, to help, to even confront. So here are some key questions I want as we walk through this. I want you to think about. Are you close enough to a group of people here at EVC to know if they've been overcome by sin? It's not going to happen in this room. You understand that. It's going to happen when you get in relationships and know one another. We've got to be called to deeper relationships at all times. Are you known by some people well enough that should you be overcome by some sin in your life that they would notice? And then where the rubber meets the road, it's do you have the depth of a relationship with a few people here that you would be willing to do the hard thing and confront them with what's going on in their life. Now that begs the next question. 
How in the world do we do this? Jesus gives us step-by-step process of how we do that. What's the process? What do I do about it? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, he tells us what we are to do when we find someone who is overcome in sin. In verse, in verse 15, Jesus says, if another believer sins against you. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is dealing with specifically sin that happens against you. So this is what needs to happen if someone sins against you, someone offends you, someone says something about you that you don't like, but does it then still apply to sins that we find someone caught into or sins that have overtaken them? I believe it absolutely does. He says, first of all, go privately and point out their offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won back that, you've won that person back, uh, But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church that then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person, this is the most misunderstood part of this passage, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now we're going to walk through these. Four things that we are to do if we find someone who's been overcome with sin. Here's what we are to do. First, go to them privately, okay? Go privately in the relationship that you already have. Go privately to them and talk with them as a loving family member to say, I see that this is going on in your life and I want to walk with you in this. You go privately. You don't go to sister better than you. You know who she is, okay? You don't go to sister better than you and go, hey, did you hear that this happened? You don't put it on the church's prayer list and say, this is what's happening if you haven't gone to the person before. Because what does Jesus say? In the context of the relationship, you go to a person individually. I'm telling you, 95% of our conflict would end if we would do it in the context of the relationship whereby these things happen. Individually and privately first. I'll never forget a lady who came to me at a previous church, so relax, okay? She came to me and she said, Pastor Randy, I've been in an accountability relationship with Sue. And the other day she said something, and I said, whoa, wait a second. I said, are you telling me you and Sue are in an accountable relationship? Yes. I said, and confidentiality is a part of that relationship? Well, yes. I said, then why are you telling me what Sue said? Oh, Well, I wanted help. Well, if you've not talked to Sue yet, you don't need to be talking to me about this. So here's what you need to do. You go talk with Sue about the issue that you see with Sue. And if y'all can't work it out, then you ask Sue if you can come and we, the three of us, can talk together. You see, you don't break confidentiality when there's something going on in someone's life. You be the godly person that this passage talks about and you go to them privately. Secondly, Take two or three with you. Why? That in godly counsel, people would be restored. Some people make this process that Jesus gives us, this is the way that we extricate people from the church. That's not the point of it at all. Can that happen? Absolutely. Does church discipline happen? Yes. Has it happened at Eagles View Church? Yes. But the process is this, the goal is restoration. Even if someone is set outside the church for a period of time, the goal of this process is that the person be set back into an opportunity where they can be an effective harvester for God. 
We take two or three with us because restoration is always the goal that hopefully in these relationships now, there are people whom this other person also respects that can bring and shed light and oftentimes bring light back to the person who's bringing the issue that maybe there's something in your life. It's not just the person that you want to talk with. That's where wisdom comes. The third thing. Take it to the church. Now, that doesn't mean you print it on, you put it on a bulletin, you hand it to Pastor Barter, myself, or Kyle, and you say, you guys need to announce this today because this person's doing that. That's not the point. Again, it's in the context of the relationship. Now it comes to the reason that we have elders, the we, reason we have staff, the reason we have other leaders in specific ministries. Why? So that there can be an authoritative view of the church that says, we want to restore you. How can we help you in this process? Steps one, two, and three are all restorative in this understanding. So we get to step four, and it's not, right? No. It's part of the restoration process as well. We treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, that sounds harsh until you understand the context. Who's writing this? Matthew. What was Matthew a corrupt tax collector. What Matthew, I believe, that Jesus is saying through Matthew, Matthew wants to bring out and put big exclamation marks and say, and so this is how you treated me. Matthew's saying, you still reached out to me. Jesus reached out to even me. The point is still restoration. We don't put someone out of the body and say, you don't matter anymore. We're still attempting to restore because this is the context of a family. Matthew's saying, you still reached out to me, even in the depths and difficulty. Which brings us to the next question. Who are the people responsible to do this? This is where it gets uncomfortable. You who are godly. Now, 65% of the room just took a big sigh of relief because you went, that's not me. I got news for you. It's you. It's you. Galatians 5, verse 25 says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I, but it is Christ who lives in me. Not a single person here who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is exempt from this process of walking with other people who have been overcome with sin and confronting them and saying lovingly, gently, humbly, would you come back into what God has in store for you. It's all of our responsibility. We cannot wait for somebody else to do this. What kind of place, what kind of love, what kind of of focused intent and leadership would we have as a church if every one of us would take this to heart and say, this is my role and responsibility in the family of God to help restore people who are struggling in whatever sin or whatever difficulty that they're they're overcome with. This is all of our responsibility, not just those who believe that they're godly. Jesus lives in you. His righteousness speaks over you. You are qualified to do this. Who's the second person we're supposed to share their burdens? Well, it is 
family who is responsible for teaching. Yes, it brings us, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about, but here's the point and process of what Paul is saying. He says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. We will line up outside, ready for you to bring all those good things, whatever you think that they are, inside. No, that is not what we're dealing with here. What Paul is saying is this. He's probably speaking to a specific condition that was taking place in the Galatian church, but it is clearly throughout Scripture. Acts 6 verse 4 says, so the that you should provide for the apostles so that the apostles can spend time in prayer and in teaching the word. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 14 says, in the same way the Lord ordered those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Here's the point of this passage. You treat us very well, by the way. We have a great group of people who work on this. We do our budget every year. We get taken care of as a pastoral staff. But the whole point of this is this message is not this. It is this. The resources are in the harvest. You see, at EVC, we encourage and we teach church planters. And one of the ways that we teach church planters is to be bivocational. In other words, they have a other paying job before they have a church that is on their feet. Unlike two people in my particular life group, and I'm going to name and call them out, Dean Smith and Zach Farr, who only believe that I work on Sundays, okay? That is not true. I work a lot of other days. I at least work two days a week, all right? All right. But, but here's the thing. What is being said is the resources are in the harvest. We teach our church planters that, listen, until that church is up and running and can literally support you, you need to have other means to do so. Because the point is this, the resources are in the harvest through which you go through, and Paul brings this out. And there are three principles that I want to give you about sowing and reaping. What Bart was just saying is a principle of sowing and reaping. We've been sowing into this field for years, and it's taken time. Matter of fact, there there are believers, the first missionaries to China, literally lost everything and worked their whole lives for 40 years to see no converts for 40 years and still worked in that field. But you see, there there are laws to sowing and reaping, and here is the first one. You always reap where you sow. You always reap where you sow. In other words, if you're sowing seed over here, don't expect to reap over here. That's just ludicrous. It's logical. Wherever you sow seed is where you're going to be able to harvest. The principle for us is this is the place where we sow seed and the harvest comes from within it. The question for you and hi, and on the brink of Father's Day, dads, is where are we sowing seed? Father's Day is next week, and the primary understanding that we talk about all the time at EVC is that parents are the primary disciples of your kids. Dads, the question I ask of you is, where are you sowing seed? Moms, where are you sowing seed? As you go into the neighborhoods this summer, don't take the summer off. Where are you building relationships? Where are you sowing seed? That's where you'll reap the harvest. Second principle, you always reap what you sow. In other words, what you sow out is what you're going to bring in. If it's lust, greed, that's what you're going to bring in. If it's forgiveness, love, all the things that Pastor Jamie talked about last week and the fruit of the Spirit, if you're sowing those things into people, those are going to be the things that you reap back into the lives of people or the lives from people. Number three, I love this one. 
you always reap more than you sow. So you better be sowing the right things because you always reap more than you sow. You know what it's like. Those years of high school that you thought were back and behind you, they still have reaped stuff in your life right now. That first marriage that you experienced and the things that you did or didn't do in that marriage and you have children together with that individual and that's still reaping in your future, isn't it? And still, like we've just seen in Honduras, you always reap more than you sow. It's called the potential of the seed. Planting one grain of wheat produces a single stalk with an average of 50 to 60 kernels on that one stalk. Right now is a harvesting time. By the way, I come from a family of harvesters. My grandfather was a harvester in West Texas, into Kansas, all the way up to the Dakotas. This is my family story. But if you plant one kernel that's harvested for four consecutive seasons, by the fourth season of planting, averaging 55 kernels per stalk, you will yield nine million kernels of wheat from one seed. Nine million kernels, that's 610 pounds of wheat seed from one single kernel. This is the potential of multiplication. It's the potential of what you sow. You always reap more than you sow, so we had better sow with wisdom. We are responsible for teaching because the resources are in the harvest. And the final group, we are responsible. Whose burden should I share? Everyone who's in the potential family. You see, we said this is gonna be a family meeting, so it's just about us, right? No, it's about all those who could potentially be in our family. When you drive back into your neighborhoods today, And you begin to realize how few of your neighbors you actually know. Those are people in the potential family of God. When you go to to that that kids camp or youth camp or you're going into Kroger, you're going into Albertsons or you're going into Walmart, that checker, all these people who are walking up and down the aisles, those people who are bringing those groceries to your car because you ordered them online, those people too, all these people our potential in the family of God. Therefore, Paul says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The context is multiplication. A couple of questions here. Who is the potential family you will come into contact with this summer that you need to be intentionally building a relationship with? Whose family can you invite to come with yours to VBS when we do it in July? Be thinking now, who are the people you can invite? These are the potential. Who will I intentionally build a relationship with in order to plant a seed of the gospel? Whose burden can you share that in doing so, you build a bridge in a relationship of the gospel? Now, there's four quick points of application. I'm just going to hit the verses. I want you to go home and study them on your own because these are powerful. In Galatians 1 through 6, 1 through 10, as Paul talks about dealing with this in relationship with others and confronting and, and loving and gently moving them back to the path, Paul gives us four critical warnings 
Four critical cautions that we need to think about. Here they are. First one, the caution of complicity. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Be careful that you don't fall into the same thing that you have noticed in someone else's life. Jesus brought it up this way. Watch out for the log in your own eye as you're pointing out the speck in someone else's. It's a humorous thing to think about, to have a log in your eye and you go, hey, hey you know, you got, you got something there. This is what I call the booger check of the faith. You know what I'm saying, all right? <laughs> we all have friends that are willing to tell us when we got something on our face or in our nose that we didn't realize, right? But be careful that you don't have the same issue going on in your own heart and life. Number two, the caution of conceit. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Don't be so conceited to think that, oh, somebody else will help them with that. No, they won't. God has shown it to you. And you and I need to be the ones to step in to the gap in people's lives. Number three, the caution of comparison. Wow, this is a huge one in our church today. The church overall in the world, but even here at EVC, we all deal with this because we're so focused on what we look like in front of other people. And I got to tell you, there's probably nothing more in my ministry life that I have focused and struggled with than that. What do other people think? I thought I was over it when I turned 50. And I got to tell you, as I was working with our team, trying to get them out, I was struggling because I was making the decisions that were life and death for our team. And I was struggling with, what are other people going to think in the midst of this? But here it is. Pay a careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we're all responsible for our own conduct. We are going to stand before God ourselves. And the fourth one, the caution of ceasing. Don't give up. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. How many times have we given up on that family member right before they were going to cross the line of victory? Let's not give up when we're doing good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, for the truth of your word and what you want to accomplish in us, Lord, I pray that you would meet every need of every person here. For those who don't have a relationship, Father, with you, that you would speak Holy Spirit into their lives right now. Father, I pray that you put people in our path, people's uh, faces in our, in our minds right now of the people we need to reach out to and not ignore. May we live family life out to glorify you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Bar.